Ronaldo vai partir para a bola, Ronaldo, Ronaldo vai partir, paradinha, atirou, golo! Já está! Já está! Já está! Hello and welcome to the first Portugal podcast of the new season, brought to you by the website www.portugal.net, your one-stop shop for all things Portuguese football. And talking about the site, please check out the newfangled Portugal, that's www.portugal.net, P-O-R-T-U-G-O-A-L.net. Uh, we've completely redesigned the site uh, and added some new sections such as On the Rise, which looks at the up-and-coming talents of the Portuguese game, and Classics, which looks at some of the great Portuguese players through the ages and some of the memorable matches. Uh, please check it out, uh, tell us what you think of it, and uh, enjoy the new, the new experience of the new Portugal. Now, on to business. First, let me introduce my partner in crime, that Portuguese football encyclopedia, no less, Vasco Mota Pereira. Hi, Vasco. All good? Are you feeling feeling well after a, a restful summer? <laughs> Hi, Tom. I'm very good, thank you. No, even though there was not much rest, but uh, <laughs> well, really, I'm, I'm very good and very. I'm looking forward to the new season. Thanks for having me once again. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for coming on. We always appreciate your expert analysis. So, today we are going to focus on analysing Benfica, Porto and Sporting, how they stand after the summer of hectic transfer activity. Of course, today is the 29th of August, so still a couple of days left and uh, especially, I think, Sporting and Benfica fans will be anxiously awaiting the end of that transfer window. Lots of rumours still that uh, the likes of William Carvalho and uh, Enzo Perez might still leave the, the Lisbon clubs but uh, we'll, we'll discuss that and also we'll end the podcast by having a quick look at this Sunday's big Lisbon derby the first big match of the Portuguese uh, domestic season league season Benfica taking on Sporting at the Estadio de Luz but first of all uh, Vasco I suppose the biggest story of this summer is the way champions Benfica have had their squad really completely decimated in the transfer market. Uh, Jan Oblak, Garay, Siqueira, Markovic, Rodrigo, all of those players were key members of last season's fantastic season for Benfica. And, uh, and that's not to mention the likes of Cardoso and Andre Gomes, uh, who also you know, played a part. Uh, can they possibly be anywhere near as good as last season? And, well, I suppose the obvious question to that is no. So, so let me put it another way. Uh, can Benfica still challenge for the title? Well, um, I think Benfica, not unlike Sporting and FC Porto, are in the middle of some uh, financial restructuring, as as, uh, as some Portuguese banks are currently tightening their purses. The, the clubs, uh, and especially the three big ones, have been forced to to rethink their strategies. Uh, Benfica's uh, case is a pretty evident example of that particular situation, and I think that, that the sale of, of several, like you mentioned, very good and very important players uh, has not been uh, anywhere near uh, to compensated by players of similar cal- caliber. Uh, having said that, 
Jean Jesus has worked absolute miracles in, in, in shaping new signings and transforming them into household names, sometimes in new positions, like for instance, uh, my teacher in Zuperes. So if, if there's anyone uh, right for this specific job, I think it's Georges Zouz. Um, having said that, we now, we now know that Benfica will be involved in a, in a tough Champions League group, which may rock the waters a little bit if the results are not good. And I think it will give Georges Zouz a little less time to get the team to gel uh, properly. I think uh, Samaris, Elisio and Bizi should help the, the team pick up some steam as well as, as Enzo Perez if he, if he stays. Uh, but going player by player, I think it's, it's, it's hard not to see the, the diminishing overall quality of the team. As, uh, as for the title, I think it will depend a lot on what FC Porto in particular will be able to do. Because if, for instance, the, the Dragons open uh, like a five-point lead like they had last season, for instance, I think it will be very hard for Mifika to bounce back. Uh, if, if we think about it, Benfica's season, uh, last season really took off when they crashed out of the Champions League. And I don't think they will be, uh, awarded that much time this time around. Yeah. Well, very interesting. Of course, the point, very good point about, uh, George Jesus being a, a master at, uh, kind of inventing solutions when, uh, when his squad is weakened. It's interesting also you mentioned Pizzi there. And, uh, there's been talk, I think actually George Jesus himself, has said he's going to try and mould Pizzi into yeah. a, a central midfield player. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it uh, be interesting to see how that uh, pans out, hopefully, I suppose, for the Portuguese national team. Uh, if he does a good job of that, that will give uh, uh, Paulo Bento another option. Okay. I think, yeah, I think okay. his, his I th- sorry, I think his Jorge's uh, perspective is rather uh, simple. It, if you're quick and good on one-on-one, you play on the wings. If you're, if you have a more cerebral approach, you play in the center. Yeah. It's basically that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, good point. Well, it's going to be fascinating, of course, uh, watching how the season pans out uh, for Benfica, how they develop and, uh, or the rest of the teams as well. So, uh, keep in touch. We'll be looking at that throughout the season. So, Vasco, you just mentioned it there, uh, Porto. Of course, uh, in contrast to their great rivals from the capital, the Dragons seems to ha- seem to have strengthened their squad on the whole, uh, bringing in a host of big names, uh, Telio, Adrian Lopez, uh, Brahimi, Martin Zindi. Uh, but, of course, we cannot neglect the fact that they have parted company with talismanic midfielder Fernando and, uh, of course, that beast of a centre-back, Mangala, uh, Fernando, it's interesting, of course, to see he's really hit the ground running at Manchester City. Yeah. Been very yeah. impressive for them straight away, where quite a lot of people were even doubting whether he'd make the, the first team. But uh, mm-hmm. he seems to have uh, made his position, that position, his own already. Yeah. Uh, so, Vasco, you were at the Estadio de Dragão on Tuesday to see Porto complete a pretty straightforward victory over Lille in the Champions League, uh, guaranteeing their presence in the group stage. Uh, were you impressed with what you saw and uh, how do you see uh, Ulan Lopetegui's side shaping up this season? Uh, well, the, the issue of, of, of the financial restructuring we talked about uh, in, as far as Metico were concerned uh, applies to FC Porto as well. The, the difference in my, in my view is that FC Porto really felt the need to, to claim the title back 
so as not uh, to let Benfica enter some sort of dynasty. And I think they also felt the need to make sure they got back to the Champions League, uh, like they ended up doing last Tuesday. Uh, despite the lucrative sale of Fernando and Mangala, like that you mentioned, I for one still can't quite believe how much money was paid by the by the French centre-back. I think this is FC Porto's swan song as far as top signings are concerned. Because if you take a look at it, a few of the most important signings are loans like Casemiro, Oliver, uh, Ortelio, something that FC Porto had hardly uh, ever done before. My opinion is that they will want to keep Benfica from winning a second title in a row and um, and uh, showcase some of the players they have to move uh, in the Champions League, like Danilo and Alexandro. As for what I've uh, been seeing and what I saw last Tuesday, I can say I'm impressed. I think there's, uh, I think it's, I still think it's too early to tell. But I did notice a, a very stark, stark contrast when, when compared to last season. Even though there are things that may not be all too well, 100%, uh, at least this season there seems to be a, a clear idea about where the team are going. It might or might not work in the end, of course, but at least I think there's a, a, a clear notion of what Lopetegui is trying to do, something that was uh, not all that evident last season under Paulo Fonseca. Uh, the, the signings that supporters have made mean that Lopetegui is one of the best squads of the past few seasons at his disposal, uh, something Vitor Pereira probably wishes he had. had. Uh, he has several very good options for each position, even though I must admit that supporters look really, really thin in midfield, which may help them soon enough. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's interesting. Of course, you mentioned there <coughs> the number of options, especially from an attacking point of view. Uh, mm-hmm. They think that could actually uh, be one of Lopetegui's biggest challenges. I mean, just have a look at those uh, forwards uh, available. We've got Brahimi and Tellu, uh, we noticed. Adrian Lopez, who Porto paid 11 million for 60% yeah. of his, uh, you know, his ownership, and uh, he's hardly had a look in so far. Quaresma uh, has been uh, out of the side, and that's caused a, a lot of talk in the press. Uh, and uh, you have Oliver Tovez as well. Yeah, uh, Quintero, uh, you know, Jackson. They just bought another striker. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> yeah, it just seems to be a, a never-ending list of options for the yeah, forward yeah. line and forward uh, attacking midfielders. Uh, how is he going to fit them all in, or perhaps more importantly, how is he going to keep them all happy? Yeah, I think that's that's clearly the biggest issue, is how to keep everyone happy. And um, to be honest, I think Brahimi has, has, has impressed me a bit, because he's starting out from the wing. He's been able to do interesting things through the center. He's been varying his position. And I think Teddy might play a part uh, in those matches where you still can get behind enemy lines, so to speak. Uh, mm-hmm. I think he will be important with, with his speed and trickery, but Still, his um, decision-making is not the best, so not sure if he will help or complicate things. Mm-hmm. Okay, another fascinating aspect to uh, keep our eye on throughout the season. Okay, uh, coming back down to Lisbon, let's have a look at sporting. Uh, so far, the Lions haven't suffered too badly in the transfer market. They lost uh, Marcus Rojo, <laughs> got a very big fee for him, although... We'll have to wait and see about the legal implications of uh, the way that transfer went through. Uh, also, another quite bad loss, uh, I think, in my opinion, was uh, <coughs> Eric Dyer, another centre-back who was just uh, looking like he was uh, about to have his breakout season, perhaps. 
and indeed he again started very well in uh, at Tottenham Hotspur scoring in his first two league games uh, those two players are gone but on the other hand uh, Nani has been brought in as well as a, a raft of young talented players uh, all of them I think with room for development uh, Vasco is it asking too much for, port- for Sporting to better last season's second place finish uh, can they seriously challenge for the title um, <laughs> good question <laughs> Uh, I want to answer, but I'll try. Uh, I think starting at, at the beginning of, of, of what you were saying, I think Sporting's activity in the in the in the transfer market has not been too shabby, like you mentioned. Selling Rafa for 20 million euros to Man United is nothing short of genius, in my opinion. I was I was really sorry to see Dia go because I think uh, he should have had some more playing time. And I think we should try to keep great players in Portugal for as long as you can. And like you said, he was bound to have his, his, his breakthrough season, I think. I think everyone thought that. Thought that. Um, to be honest, I think asking Sporting to improve their second-place finish is uh, quite a tall order because um, FC Porto and Benfica don't have bad seasons that often. Uh, and Benfica are still led by Jorge Jesus. FC Porto still boasts, uh, are boasting an incredible squad. And on the other hand, uh, in my opinion, last season was quite good for Sporting because there were no expectations. There was the, the, the understanding that it was a transition year and anything good that might come up would be deemed uh, bonus. Uh, and I don't think that will be the case this season under Marco Silva, uh, which might not help, particularly as the season wears on and its results uh, start uh, not being what, what the supporters expect and the president as well. And lastly, I think the involvement in the Champions League won't help because despite the signing of young, talented players, like, the, like you mentioned, I think Sporting's is not exactly the deepest squad and unless Marco Silva is willing to throw some youngsters in the deep end. I don't think they're at Benfica and FC Porto's level just yet, but I do think they're heading into the right direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I agree with all of that. It's going to be interesting to see how Sporting get on in the Champions League. I think, uh, of course, we saw the draw yesterday. Perhaps not the most difficult of draws. Uh, of course, Chelsea would be big favourites in that group. But uh, the other two sides, maybe Sporting have got a chance of uh, fighting for second place. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, just a quick uh, additional question on Sporting. Uh, what do you make of Nani's return then? Uh, Good news for Sporting. Uh, he didn't have the best of debuts or second debuts, I suppose we should say. But uh, I think even before he did, he missed that penalty. You know, some of his uh, turning and crossing, you could really see that that was a, you know, a player of a class that uh, we don't have too many of them in Portugal. Uh, do you think he can be a, a, a big boon for for Sporting this season? I think. I think that's harder to, to answer than if whether Sporting will be title contenders or not, to be honest. <laughs> because I think it really depends on his at, uh, approach to, to, to his involvement in, in Sporting. Because technically, like you said, he's head and shoulders above basically everyone else in the Portuguese league. He's an unbelievable player with unbelievable potential. If he comes back thinking that this is a, a demotion, so that he can uh, get back to his his best, and if he thinks that Sporting should be centered around him, I think it will be in for a, a 
tough season because I think he tends to overcomplicate things oftentimes uh, when he starts thinking that he's sort of the son of the team. Uh, if he manages to to wrap his head around the concept of being just another call, uh, a very good one at that, uh, I think he will be an incredible uh, addition to Sporting, particularly at Champions League level because he's been there. He's, he's carried Man United uh, a few times before in his day. He knows how to do it. He can be a very good influence um, with, the, with the young players and with, with the rest of them because most of them haven't played Champions League football. Uh, I think most importantly will be his mental approach to things, to be honest. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. It's going to be very interesting for Sporting. Of course, uh, in principle, we'll have Nani on one wing and uh, Andre Carillo on the other wing. Yeah. And uh, Carillo, in my opinion, has also got uh, amazing potential. But mm-hmm. uh, perhaps a little bit like Nani, uh, one or two uh, problems, uh, I don't know if you can call them psychological problems, but he tends to kind of turn off in games sometimes. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, if they can, <laughs> it's, it could be a bit of a risk uh, having both of those in the same side, but then if they both turn it on, wow, that's going to take, uh, take some so- stopping. Yeah, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. As a coach, I would be worried that both of them um, would turn off too often and too often at the same time. Yeah, I think they're too similar uh, in terms of abilities and in terms of, uh, of, of attitude during matches. So uh, I would be a bit worried because I think that those are they are the kinds of players that when things are not going well, they tend to just drift drift away and just yeah, maybe next time will be better. And the team, particularly as the sporting team, have as can't afford that luxury of of having both of them just eh, nodding off. Yeah. Okay. Yet another uh, fascinating little aspect to uh, to keep our eye on throughout the season. Okay. Finally, let's have a quick look ahead to this Sunday's eagerly awaited Lisbon derby at the Estadio de Luz between Benfica and Sporting. Uh, Vasco, uh, Benfica endured a pretty torrid pre-season, as well as losing all these players. Uh, they had a, a series of uh, pretty bad results, some terrible results. But uh, when it got serious, they have won three out of three, uh, lifted the Super Cup, of course, won their first two league games. Uh, as for Sporting, they drew their first game away at uh, Academica and uh, only managed to win their second game despite mm-hmm. uh, a reasonable performance in the very last seconds, a stoppage time goal by Carlos Mané. Uh, and Sporting have scored only two goals so far this season. So... Uh, What's going to happen on Sunday? What are the key battles in the game, in your opinion? Well, I think one of the key battles, uh, if not the main one, uh, will be between Sporting and the ground of uh, Stade de Luz itself, to be honest. I think um, it represents a huge obstacle to Sporting, or at least it has over the past few years. Uh, Sporting haven't defeated Benfica at the Luz since 2006, and worse, they haven't scored there since April 2007, which might cause some uh, stage fright to some players and or supporters if things start going south. Uh, despite the results, uh, I still think both teams both teams still look a bit wally here and there. Uh, but I think this might be a match to suit uh, Michael Silva's strategy. When when last season we, we talked about in one of these podcasts, we talked about the possibility of Mark Silva being hired by FC Porto. And I remember saying I wasn't convinced of his ability to... to 
instruct the team to take charge of matches. And what I've seen from Sporting so far has not in any way reassured me. I know it's too early in the season to judge anything, of course, but Sporting are already showing some difficulties against smaller teams, some difficulties by the trading enemy lines. And against Benfica, I think their favoured approach uh, might come in handy. Benfica may have won their matches, but they have struggled to create good chances uh, collectively and often look to, to, to their stars for inspiration, like Gaetan and Salvi. Their midfield is not perfectly tuned just yet, which in turn leaves their defence vulnerable. And remember, there's no Garay at the back, of course. Uh, all in all, I think it will mostly boil down to the to the, to the personalities Sporting will show at the match. If they're able to stifle Benfica's movement ahead of their midfield, I think they can probably find uh, joy by running at Benfica's defenders at speed. And I think Montero and Nani might just be the right man to, to punish Benfica for that. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, if you weren't looking forward to the match now, I'm sure you are after listening to that. Uh, <laughs> should be a, a great occasion, as usual. Uh, uh, close to 60,000 people in the stadium. And, uh, of course, we'll cover it at, uh, on the site. Uh, well, that's all we've got time for at the moment, people. Uh, Vasco, thank you very much. Thank you, Tom, for having me once again. And thank you, listeners. Uh, we'll be back throughout the season. You can find us at the site, www.portugal.net. Uh, and again, I urge you, please do check out the new site. Uh, and you can also find this podcast on SoundCloud. Thank you very much. And até a próxima.